0: welcome 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 everybody it is the breakdown right here on canadian football perspective derek taylor alongside marshall ferguson as we welcome you to week number eight with the scrappy hamilton tiger cats finding a way to get the victory at home they're 2-0 in their last two home games if you want to really spin the way the tie cat season has been playing out so far
1: tt hey they're they're using that two quarterback thing right <laughs> it was two quarterbacks last year this time matthew schiltz uh making an impact and it's it was enough to get it done. I don't think Montreal is a great team, but they were on the verge of tying that game till the injury spotter pulls Trevor Harris out. Right. Um, Machocha's late game decisions aren't necessarily the best with kicking field goals from the nine, but that was, that was the confusing part. I don't want to, let's not too far, but he kicks a field goal from the nine, which is not the prudent move because I mean, I get it was third down. It was first and goal from the nine. You don't believe, but, you kick a field goal there, which is not the right move. You should go for the touchdown, but then later gets the touchdown down 15 and immediately goes for the two point convert, which is absolutely the move to use. And I went, okay, you're, you're halfway there, you're yeah. halfway there. Cause imagine had they gone for the nine and got the touchdown, how different that final drive, they're kicking a field goal and boom, they're into overtime or they're scoring a touchdown as Dominic Davis doesn't put the ball five yards behind a receiver and Cameron Kelly and the game's over. Um, you
0: know, it was great. I was in the stands last night in Hamilton sitting with a couple of my friends and we, they're pretty educated fans. And part of it's because, and not to like, you know, ego bump myself, but it's because like they hang out with me and I'm constantly just blabbering about like, Oh no, this guy does that. Or like, here's the tendency or whatever. So we, we get into these like actually good conversations that I really enjoy with them. And uh, to be honest, it's like, I got, one of my friends and then basically all of his friends are the extension group, but there's like five of them. There's tie season ticket holders. And as that play happens and we stand up, we start to walk out. I said, you know, what's great about that throw guys. Dominic Davis would have made that throw if it was the first play of the first quarter. I was like, it, that's, it's the same dude. It doesn't matter the time of the score. Cause everyone looks at that. Level. Oh, he was really trying to push the ball vertically. Cause he had to get, yeah, but he still threw it short of the end zone anyways. So yeah, it's like, he his decision making, and I get it in short time of finding out you're gonna have to go in the game getting the play call and then having to execute it's super super difficult like I'm not gonna act like if it was me I would have walked right in there and found the perfect read and made the perfect throw and we would have got out of there with the victory it's like no that's super difficult to do but I've watched enough of him in Ottawa and in Winnipeg to basically see that and be like People will say, "Ah, oh, the difficult circumstances," and I'm like, "That feels like you're giving him the benefit of the doubt on that one because he's not a super accurate dude, especially down the field."
1: Yeah, and what we saw Drew Brown do in week number one against Ottawa yeah. was Zach Caleros gets that first down, takes a shot, has to gets pulled by the injury spotter, just like this one. Drew Brown goes beep boop boop three straight completions, field yep. goal, ball game uh bombers win like uh or what touchdown it was eight seven weeks ago i don't remember but i know it's all
0: blurred now that we're a third of the year through but
1: cold off the bench and and uh bombers won that game with the backup quarterback you you just you you have to should it should harris i was surprised harris got pulled by the injury spotter though because yeah i didn't it was a vicious Like it was a strong hit a legal hit but it didn't look like it was to the head or anything and it just looked like oh, my shoulder blades need to be put back into place before <laughs> I run this this play. So I was honestly surprised the injury spotter took him out.
0: I didn't get a great look at it because I was in stadium and I haven't watched the game back as of yet. But uh, I will say that live, yeah, it was violent. You could tell. Everybody in the crowd gave it the old like, oh, no, no, get him, get him. Oh, and you could just tell that everybody's like, okay, he got popped. But I think without having seen it, that my experience from talking to people that are around the league in the last year or so has been: uh, there's a certain quarterback in Saskatchewan who officials are very tired of anytime he gets hit, and he gets hit a lot because he likes to run the football, playing it up a little bit. And oh, okay, any time that a quarterback decides that they are going to play it up a little bit, they have been instructed from the beginning of this year. Hey, if you get up and you're going to start complaining about calls and saying, I got hit when I shouldn't have gotten hit or all the rest. Okay. If you really think you're that hurt and you're going to play it up and roll around on the ground, which I don't know if Trevor did it all. Like I, again, I haven't seen it, but if, if you, you know, hands above your head and flopping around and oh my God, and roll and lean over on your side and grab your leg or, you know, any hands to the head, like Calaro's dealt with early in the year. That's basically been the directive in my understanding from the league is, If you guys are going to try to sell that on something that doesn't exist, okay, congrats, you sold it. You're now out of the game for three plays. Which I love because I really think that that's a healthy deterrent. Now, the problem is in the moment, those dudes are programmed that I'm getting paid the most money on my team. I'm super valuable. Oh my God, somebody hit me and I'm trying to draw a penalty that will get us closer to the end zone as we're down inside the final 30 seconds and we're down by seven. It's All of those things will play in so much more than you get hit and you're laying on the ground and in the millisecond that your body makes a reaction to the fact that you just got violently struck by a defender. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about the meeting that you had with football ops at the preseason. Yeah, that doesn't go through your head. These guys are wired differently than the directive is going to suggest. So, and again, I'm not saying that's what happened last night, but I am saying that around the league, they're trying to get rid of quarterbacks rolling around and trying to draw penalties. And then the flag comes out and they pop up on their feet and they're like, (laughs) gotcha. Gotcha. It's like, that's not good for anybody so they've been trying to get that out of the game a little bit
1: that's that's very interesting yeah m- my perception and folks listening will have their own but my perception was trevor got popped he never reached for his head but it was like okay i've been hit by a bus i need a moment to count my ribs okay <laughs> i have the right number of ribs this is going to this is going to hurt a little bit but this is football and it's a critical play let's go and he was mad it looked like he was mad disappointed frustrated whatever it was to be pulled out at the time as any player would be right that's yes that's what they live for these guys i was talking to a couple of guys this week and independent conversations like no i love that stuff i'm like You guys are bonkers. You, Malik Clements, are bonkers throwing yourself over top of a pile like that. But that's what you do, and I and I love that you love to do it, and and I love that you get when you get up safely from it. It's uh, the ultimately injury spotter is a great thing because we, if we're gonna take injury seriously for these guys, we need to absolutely take them seriously, and that's now twice that the injury spotter. I don't. I talk about it like it's one person. The injury spotters have pulled out a quarterback Mm -hmm. at a last second juncture of a game. And that's, that's the biggest test short of the playoffs. And so I love it. The CFL is taking this seriously.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's, you have to protect them from themselves because they are warriors. Like they are modern day warriors. As you talk about, they do something that is, and I, you know, I, I understand that football is a violent sport. I, I get on the edge of wanting to say that it's like, (laughs) It's modern day Greco-Roman wrestling, essentially, with metal strapped to your body. Like, it's dangerous. What they do, by its nature, is, you know, you see Tunde Adelike take a shot on Reggie White last night in that game, right in the midsection that knocks the football out, and I'm watching that from the upper deck at Tim Hortons Field, and I, it hurt me. Like, it's, it's so, you just, you know how some of those things feel if you've played and been around and you're watching the game. And it's, there's even times where, uh, you know, there, there was an opportunity last night on a flat route throw by the alouettes that the corner came down and old football holy shit he would have killed the dude (laughs) oh my god but it's like in new school football they're learning how to be more responsible and some guys are better at it than others right of protecting each other um but it's like going high would have been the old way going going low because you remember this dt like there was a period over the last 10 years where it was like well, if I can't go high and murder the dude, I'm going low and I'm going to break his leg or tear his ACL, right? It was like yep. defiant of defenders where they're like, you're going to screw me here. I'm going to get you back doing this way. Now guys are realizing I make a play on the football and I run through the football. And if I make contact with you while I'm playing the football, I can't get flagged for that stuff. And there was a good example of that last night. The other one that comes to mind, I tweeted it out this week. It was uh, Joel Figueroa against Hamilton last Thursday. He There's, right. a, there's a run outside to the left. Mm. And he basically like gets on the defensive and I think it was Mason Bennett from the Ticats and like gets his hands on, throws him, dude falls down and then hurdles him, which was amazing as a 300 pounder. But as I watched that clip, I thought, you know what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers offensive line is known for finishing like coaches tell people all the time, finish your blocks. He's on the ground. That's his loss. Has the whistle gone yet? Block him finish the job. And Joel Figueroa was the most, it's the most responsible slash athletic play I've seen so far this year where it's like, dude's on the ground. I can kill him. No, the play's going to be ending here. Let me just hop over the top and move on with the next play. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's between the injury spotter and between guys figuring out how to handle some of these different situations, the game is definitely evolving.
1: Yeah. Uh, biggest hitter so far in 2022. Adele is number one, right? Like he's he's turned guys out this season. He's turned them inside out um, I forget, I forget who got, was it a delicate that got Burnham? I
0: th- ooh, who got, uh, was it like the injury to Burnham? That would have been the Toronto game, I believe. So that would have been probably the free. Oh, okay. I'd have Toronto. to go back to the But a
1: delicate, go... a delicate took out some Calgary guys. Um, mm-hmm. Malcolm Thompson of the bombers had okay. won on Kenny Lawler this past week. He, oh my.
0: he is He's playing, he is playing as fast as anybody in the league right now. Yep. And, and I'm amazed by that. And I know that you analyze this team inside out all week long on 680 CJOB out there in Winnipeg. But like, I'm watching every game. And a lot of the time, I'm just like speeding through, seeing where the throw goes, seeing the tackle, speeding through, seeing where the, and sometimes it's amazing when you're watching, like, I think we're up over 3,500 snaps played already this year uh, from my tracking somewhere in there. It's over 3,000. And yeah. in those in those 3000 snaps, if you were to ask me just like bullet points of things that I've picked up as I fly through these games and track them and watch them. And one of the things is like, what the hell has gotten into Malcolm Thompson? <laughs> yeah.
1: What? Like, where did he's telling Brandon Alexander? Like that's yeah. Brandon Alexander hits he's throwing. But I never Brandon Alexander.
0: I never thought that that was part of his game. And like, again, this is part of this is the the guilt complex of me as, you know, draft expert, as everybody likes to peg me in the winter months. It's like, I go through and I miss on these guys because I have a difficult time projecting them, not unlike teams who take Sean Thomas Erlington in the final round or things like that. So, but Malcolm Thompson to me was like, yeah, he's a nice defensive back. Like, you know, he'll he'll make some plays, maybe if he's like a backup free and a special teamer. And now he's like this super hard hitting downhill, talking trash to dudes, like after he makes plays. It's, I remember scouting Tunde when he was coming out of Mm. Carlton and I was like, he's the best returner, which by the way, this is crazy that they don't use him in the return game. Because if you look up his Carlton highlight tape on returns, it's the stupidest thing. But I was like, he's going to be a really good returner, probably play like field corner. Maybe he becomes the next Courtney Steven as somebody that you just kind of like hide out there. It's like, no, 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 no. He is much, much better than that. So I'm super impressed by both of those guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, just crushing dudes. It's, it's impressive. And, and it's the thing. So we do a segment in the pregame show. It's, it's, called a hell of a play and it's just one play. It wasn't the biggest thing ever, but it, we just wanted to talk to a guy about it twice. It's been a Malcolm Thompson hit on the dude because <laughs> he is wrecking people and he's wrecking people very smartly. It's not in the head. It's not in the knees. Yeah. It's in the waist. It's in the ribs. And like it, it's, it's one of those ones that you go, I feel good about cheering for that one when it's, yeah. When it's the old school Kairos, a bear Superman's into a guy's skull. No, that's not, we're not cheering for that one, but big clean hits to the midsection that, that absolutely rock a dude who's as tough as Kenny Lawler. Mwah! Yes. That's, that's what, that's what football is. That's what 2022 football is. It's those guys that we're talking about. It's fantastic.
0: You know what else football is, is Adam Big Hill on short yardage Taylor Cornelius sneaks, timing it up, diving over Man. the pile. And And listen, I say this on almost every podcast I'm on now because I get so fired up and I like energetic talking about some of these players that I think people have this misconceived notion that I'm like cheering for somebody. Right. But, but the reality is I just love great plays and I love things that make me get out of my seat. I was watching Winnipeg Edmonton uh, in Kingston with my parents after calling the Thursday night game. My nephews were there and we were all like ordered in pizza and we were sitting around enjoying the game on a Friday night. It was awesome. And Adam Bigel jumps over the top in that short yard, just need to try and stop Cornelius and like, just times it like he always does, gets over the top, and he's super physical with this big six 6'5 muskox of a quarterback out there in Edmonton. And I, out of nowhere, and I wasn't even, like, having beers or anything, out of nowhere, I was sitting on the couch and I just went, get him, Adam, get him. I was just, and I just started yelling. I was like, yeah, like, what a play. God, that's amazing. That's incredible that he's able to just, like, harness the timing and the end. Because to have that much focus and still arrive, violently with the intention of stopping you from getting the first down it's like those are two completely different things it's like cerebral versus physical and he does that so often it makes it look so easy
1: yeah and the the game they play coming up uh Winnipeg and Calgary it's it's Adam Big Hill and Jameer Thurman who are just two super elite linebackers I was I was talking about Big Hill this week and I said to coach Mike O'Shea like I didn't really realize how many things he does and O'Shea kind of made fun of me a little bit like how did you not realize I'm like (laughs) well it's different because now I'm saying his name all the time, right? Big Hill blitzes off the left edge. Big Hill showing and dropping into coverage. Big Hill removes Stephen Dunbar's spine, mortal combat style, and Nick Taylor gets the interception. Uh, there, there are not linebackers, uh, and maybe, and part of that is almost certainly Richie Hall going. Here's a three-man. Here's three defensive linemen. Here's four defensive linemen. Here's five defensive linemen because Adam Big Hill will make all these work no matter what combination of backers we put into the game with him. Uh, he's just, he does everything. He blitzes more than any linebacker or asks the pass rush more than any linebacker. he He's in coverage 20 yards downfield that when Dunbar, it's a 15 yard dig or hook or whatever it was. He's coming downhill behind him. And I don't think you expect a, 220 whatever pounder to be coming at you that fast from behind when you're 15 yards downfield you feel like you're in the in the range of like 510 180 guys not guys who take down buildings with their shoulder big hill big hill is incredible uh he and jefferson are just the stars of stars and a real good reason why uh, i think it's 21 plays 20 plays plus a pass interference call have been run in the Bombers' red zone this season, the fewest in the Canadian Football wow. League. Because that's it's amazing. Edmonton that game was just walking the ball down the field at spots. Oh, Cornelius sneaks on second and short. Cornelius sneaks on second and short. Red zone on the twenty yard line. No, nope, you're done. You're yep. you're get Sergio out here two plays from now because you're you guys are kicking a <laughs> field goal. It's it's imp- it's so impressive to watch, and that's that's kind of the. Let me ask you this: We were talking yeah. about what's the Bombers' identity. And we, I came up with the defense and Zach makes plays. Like yep. what's the bomber's identity to you through a seven and no start.
0: So Zach makes plays to me, if you want to get specific. And I know when you say Zach makes plays, this is what you mean, but score zone second down and long, like that's where Zach makes plays. That's where your quarterback influences the game more than anything else. in The Canadian football league is score zone and second down and long. Like, can you convert? And can you cash in on your opportunities to get points? And he like even the friggin' throw to Dalton Shone down the left side where he runs away from Daron Carter and gets the touchdown last week. It's like, I didn't, I didn't tweet it out. Cause I forgot to honestly, but I saved the clip of, Oh man. It's, and I know this is the Claro's Island stuff that you always talk about, but it's like, he, as, as a former quarterback, this is how I view these things. He takes a drop in the gun, typical in rhythm, hits his back foot starts to climb the pocket a little bit pressure's coming okay tucks the ball to protect it rips through steps forward to his right but it's always these small movements he's never like oh i gotta get out of here oh my god (laughs) it's a disaster in here like he just like "Mm, tuck move forward shuffle and then he starts to climb the pocket and now his hips are downfield and right before he lets the ball go and slings it 40 yards on a rope directly on target on a play that leads to a touchdown he shimmies to his left because he feels an arm coming from a defensive tackle to his right. Like he has this cerebral nature in those situations to make those plays. So that's the magic that every week there's one or two throws where I just go, he's just better than everybody right now. He's just simply like Bo Rourke at the start of the year, like whatever, whoever you want to throw out there. Zach is making plays that change the game more than anybody else. And then in terms of the defense, 100% like I looked at you know my production grade that you know that I I rank out for each play and whether it was against the run or against the pass like because there's all these different ways of like you know net yards given up by the opponent net yards allowed and things like that and the way that I look at it the top three defenses against um, the run and the pass the only team that's in the top three of each of those is Winnipeg like Saskatchewan's right there but that's because they. Play the Ticats defense that gave up a uh, Ticats cats offense that gave up a thousand sacks in week one, so that kind of skewed their numbers, I think, a little bit, and that's why Pete Robertson's been out, and he's still leading the league in sacks, I believe, at this point. So, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, think defense being able to make big plays in big moments, and also I don't think that we can downplay the ability of that Winnipeg secondary to recreate itself after losing important pieces, whether it be major injury in training camp, or if it be, um, you know, guys going down south, like they've been able to plug those holes in a way that is not easy to do. It might look easy because they've been able to backfill and develop guys, but they're starting to fly around as a cohesive unit, which uh, I, I'm, I shouldn't say I'm surprised by, cause I'm really not, but it's like, that's harder than it looks. And, and you mentioned, you know, going through and looking at those score zone uh, numbers, the one that I would yeah. throw, at, throw at you that I was amazed because there's a piece up on TSN.ca right now that I've kind of analyzed, teams that are most successful throwing their way back into games when they're down by two or more scores versus teams that are most successful at running the football when they are up by a single score so it's like can you get yourself back into a game and can you close a game running the football a little bit and the number one team in production grade by my grade in in both of those is Calgary which means that like yeah they're comfortable throwing their way back in they're comfortable running the ball when they're up Uh, but but when I was looking at okay, how often do teams throw the football when they are down by two or more scores? I got to Winnipeg. I got all these other numbers for all these other teams. They were the last one ninth and final team. I went to break down. They haven't taken a single snap this year trailing by more than eight points. Yep. Like they, they have not been in a situation thus far this year where they are down by more than eight points. They are never down by more than (laughs) one score in a football game. And I included that in the analysis that I put to the piece and just said, Winnipeg doesn't even qualify because they've played a high enough caliber of football and leaned on what they believe in, which is defense and Zach making plays, that they, they've they never been in this situation. And some people will say, well, wow, how will they respond once they get tested? What if Calgary goes up by 14 in the first quarter or something like that this week? And that, that might be the question, but really it's like, why would I ever think they're going to be down by 14 based on how they play? Like their defense is going to give up somebody has to, basically here's what it is and you know this for them to be down by 14 they're going to have to give up a, a return touchdown and some db is going to have to fall down in man coverage yep because they're not going to give up a 15 play <laughs> drive that goes 105
1: yards you know yeah that ends in a touchdown yeah. it's that was that was legit legitimate question we were asking going into the bc game right because bc was this super powered offense that was just crushing it and we thought well, what would it look like if they were down fourteen nothing? And the Generian Grant takes the opening kick back for a touchdown. Uh, Jackson Jeffcoat snuffs out the first BC drive with an interception. They stuff that in the end zone, and they scored thirty by halftime. And you went, okay, well, that's that, That's the question for another day. Um, they are they're super impressive. And while we were talking there, I just had to go look it up because we mentioned, uh, we mentioned Willie. We mentioned, uh. Uh, linebacker Adam Big Hill. Goodness, yep. I can't believe I forgot it. <laughs> I'm going to say it 40 times tomorrow. Uh, team Dietrich Nichols. Like yes. he may 11 games from now get left off all star lists. Teams teams are. I was I've been saying teams aren't throwing at him. Uh, teams are throwing at him. Sub 40 percent completion rate against, according to my tracking. Wow. That is stupid. That is stupid. How good that is. Like it should be. 55, 60%. Um, the the best ones are maybe a touch under 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 50. Wow. He's under 40% completion against. He's, Dietrich Nichols is killing it again this season for the Bombers. So I, I hope he doesn't get overlooked when we start lauding them for their 16-2 season tying the 1989 Edmonton Elks. Because, <laughs> uh, Marcia, if they win on Saturday, if the Bombers win on Saturday, the West is over. For me, yeah. it's over. And it's, it's silly saying that eight games in, but it's over. Four games up on Calgary with the tiebreaker, though Calgary has two games in hand, it's, it's done.
0: They would have to fall apart in significant ways, injury or <laughs> this is the funny thing. Like when I when I try to paint the picture of how and why Winnipeg could be foiled. I have to basically be like, well, somebody has to fall down and they have to give up a punt return touchdown that nobody expects. It's like, yeah, but why would they give up a punt return touchdown when their special teams are so sound and you got so many dogs running around and staying in their lane and being sound and being smart and not taking penalties and, 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 and. And it's like, well, a DB is going to have to fall down. Yeah, that that could happen. I mean, they're human, but at the same time, it's like those dudes have pretty good fundamentals. Like how often do you really see somebody from that Winnipeg secondary make a play on the football that's incorrect or, uh, you know, draw a penalty? Like... <laughs> I'm trying to, what's the name of the defensive back from Montreal? Was it Sutton that ended up picking up like four of those pass interference calls against Montreal? It's like Yeah, three on Lawler himself, yeah. That dude does not know how to play the football in the air. He just does not have, know how to play the football. And he took a penalty again against Ottawa in the Thursday night football game I called. How often do you see Winnipeg defenders who look clueless because they have no clue where the ball is or how to play the football? It just doesn't. Like, they have so many things that are sound about their game that it, you have to paint these ridiculous scenarios in order to say they'll be down by 14 21 points you have to paint ridiculous scenarios to say well they're going to lose th- you know three of five games in the middle of the season when you look at the schedule as it shakes out right now it's like what mm. is the scenario where they are not winning the west so i don't disagree with you
1: um zach gets injured is probably what but drew brown in 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 spot very spot duty looked really good in that one game but zach gets in like zach's MOP level play again, honestly, just the way the league's going. um But if Jefferson gets injured and Jeff Coates back, I think they could. Willie's Willie affects the game in so many ways, but I feel like they can weather that with the guys they have. If Big Hill gets injured and now Big Hill and Brandon Alexander aren't down the middle, okay. Big Hill does a lot of stuff, but can Malik Clements fill in enough for that? And then whoever they slap in at the will, um there's. I mean, they're going through the injury prob- problems problems troubles i'm going to get that word out eventually they're going through the injury problems that other teams have had in past years that they've been able yeah. to avoid and they're still seven and zero. like they're like nick devsky had to stone cold steve austin music back onto the roster for this saturday because they're just they lost another receiver for a long time in carlton agadosi yeah that sucks okay they're they're doing they're having the injury problems with Alexander is still on sixth game, and Kyrie Wilson on sixth game from week number four, whatever it was. Uh Jackson Jeff Cottle misses third game on Saturday. Winston Rose has missed a game, tweaked his ankle in practice on Thursday. Okay, Michael Couture is still out at center. Receiver after receiver after receiver is injured. Like they're dealing with they've got the injury problems, and they're still seven and zero, and that is incredibly impressive. However, uh Calgary. Four and one Calgary, like from what you've seen, they're the real deal. Yeah,
0: yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I've um, there's a lot of the things that I've looked at that have suggested to me that Saskatchewan is ripe for an implosion, and Calgary's the real deal. BC, I'm still sort of confused by. I mm. think just because it was so unexpected that I'm trying to determine whether or not there are. I was actually talking with Jim Lawson uh, about this on the sidelines of the Ticats game before kickoff last night, where. You know, he, he runs Woodbine Racetrack now in Toronto, and he used to be associated with the CFL at a very high level. And uh, he's down there because he's friends with a lot of people from in and around the Ticats organization. And I, I was talking to him specifically about Montreal, but really it's the same concept of what is sustainable and what is a mirage. And now that we have enough data and enough eye test, you combine those two on these teams and you say, okay, who is for real? And when I combine those things, Montreal, to me, looks a little fraudulent. And I I just, Ottawa, I think, is significantly better than their record suggests. Even with Masoli out, I think that they are a better team than they were. But again, you can only hold on to that for so long until your record is like 0-10, and and then it's like, who gives a damn? (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, when I look at the West, Edmonton is what Edmonton is. They're going to struggle throughout the year. That's just the way it's going to go. Winnipeg is the realest of the real the dynasty that is just chugging along and we have a hard time building an argument against them having success. Calgary is the is the contender Calgary is the number two ready to try and punch up a slightly above their weight against Winnipeg Uh, Saskatchewan to me feels like they've been relying on some things even on the ground game and on second and long or even on attempts of 20 yards or more from Fajardo where it's like your numbers aren't bad, but they're really inconsistent And it's very spotty and when it goes well, it goes really well. And when it goes poorly, it goes really poorly. And I'm just not a believer in, in the way that that group looks aside from suspensions and Marino and Duke throwing a helmet and all the other BS that's just around their organization. I just, I just on the field, I just don't see it with Saskatchewan down the stretch. I I think they're probably the playoff team, like whether it's Mm -hmm. crossover, probably like I would say, because I think it's going to be BC, Calgary, Winnipeg in the West as it looks right now. Um, But yeah, BC is the anomaly to me where I'm like, I know why they're having success, but is it sustainable? Is it something that in the back third of the season, as in the first third of the season, they'll be able to get away with the kind of sloppy Nathan Rourke game, or they'll be able to get away with giving up, uh, you know, X amount of, of explosive plays to the Hamilton Tiger cats, or, uh, you know, playing against a Winnipeg group where you essentially have to be perfect and. You got beat up by them the first week, the first time you played against them in 2022. Can you figure them out the next time or the time after that or the time in the playoffs? And so I don't really have answers on BC, but that's kind of my big picture thought on the West as it stands right now with Calgary and Winnipeg ready to be, like you said before, we came on the biggest regular season game that we'll likely see all year until there's a game that decides a division or something at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, because to me, if Winnipeg wins this, they're 8-0, they got Montreal back-to-back, so they're 10-0 going into the bye four wins ahead of everybody else. Just, just forget it. And Calgary is, is, is done at that point. Calgary wins. Okay. Well now things are, are for real. Winnipeg's only two wins up and Calgary has two games in hand. And there's a third meeting uh, coming that first game though. I would just had to pull it up six drops by Calgary receivers and mm-hmm. inopportune penalties. I'm uh, talking to Bo Levi Mitchell today. I said, how much was luck a factor that first game? He said, I don't think it was luck as much as it was bad bounces. Like, That's, that sounds like luck. Like the ball, (laughs) Kamar Jordan has a game tying touchdown and it pops out of his hands. And Demario Houston, who makes a fantastic play, intercepts it. There's a little bad luck that goes into six drops in a game, which doesn't generally happen from, from those guys. So, uh, a one, one score games are lucky. And that's kind of the textbook one for me of, yeah, Winnipeg won. Can they count on those bounces again? Uh, no. So let's see what happens on Saturday because it's going to be good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say this, just to wrap the thought on this big game, is that at the end, I remember Bo's post-game press conference where he said uh, in Winnipeg, you know, that, that's why those guys are who they are. They find ways to close out games. We know this is going to be a closed game. There's no way that this is a blowout either direction. Like these teams are very talented. They know how to fight into games. They know how to grind it out when they're leading. My takeaway from this is Bo Levi is at a stage in his career where he is back and he's healthy for the first time in a couple of years. He looks more like himself. He's got a running game similar to those Messam teams or those Cornish teams, or like they've got some body movers up front and it's, they got Derek Dennis back in the fold. They got linebacker play. It feels like the Stampeders teams that we know, like it feels like that's a more normal group. Can Bo be a veteran leader of a team that's real good? but isn't the favorite because Calgary for much of his career was the favorite in the West. And his job was just to keep the ship above water. And now you're number two, you got to punch up and you only get so many chances to punch up Saturday nights, one of those chances. And that's what we're going to look forward to. So uh, DT, let people know where they can catch all your work coming up this weekend.
1: At DT on OB on Twitter, DT on CGOB on Instagram, 680 CGOB pregame show two hours before 5 o'clock Calgary time kickoff, 7 o'clock Eastern, wherever you are. Uh, you can get us online on the radio. It's the best CFL coverage on radio in the right. entire country. Me and Doug Brown in the gig.
0: I could not agree more. There you go. Uh, follow him at DT on I'm at
1: TSN underscore Marsh. We hope that you enjoyed the breakdown leading into week number eight in the Canadian Football League.